0: Welcome to another exciting podcast brought to you by Mesa Christian Church. It's a lot about uh, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And uh, I want to ask you a couple of questions tonight. And if someone, just imagine someone asked you this question, who maybe isn't a Christian or a believer, and they asked you, where is the kingdom of heaven? Or where is the kingdom of God? How would you answer that question? Where is the kingdom of God? Where is the kingdom of heaven? Jesus prayed a prayer, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And pray. that was part of his prayer. One way you could answer that, maybe just simplify that question and answer, is that the kingdom of heaven is wherever God is king. The kingdom of heaven is where it shows up or is wherever God is is king that could be a place that can be your life our lives when we are in church tonight we're lifting up the name of Jesus and declaring him the king of kings the lord of lords and saying god we thank your presence is here and we're wanting your kingdom to come and manifest itself in in this place we're making him king and so his kingdom is here and at work you know, I heard a great story, very short story, but on Friday, uh, the pastor from uh, Murray Aval from Nexus Church was uh, in Maryborough, came up and spoke to the district pastors for the day and uh, for the morning. And he shared a very short story uh, about the Welsh Revival. And, uh, and he said, during the Welsh Revival, and I've read a bit about the Welsh Revival went for about three years, and very powerful, life transforming, continent transforming, you know, remove uh, of God. And so they said there's this story where a, uh, a guy got off a train, he, was, he wanted to go and see what God was doing, and he gets off the train and uh, this happened over 100 years ago. And gets off the train and basically gets out and says, "Ask one of the conductors or someone of the staff and says, where's the revival? Where is it all happening? And all he said is, just walk around the other side of the station and the presence of God will draw you to himself. So that's all you have to do. He said, when you get around the other side there, the presence of God will draw you and will just lead you to the revival. I remember... Um, more recently, uh, in Lakeland, there was a move. it got about ten years ago, and I remember uh, it was at Lakeland's a city in Florida, and um, they had these meetings happening with people. and I remember people were driving there from around America, and I read several articles where people were interviewed, and and they said they were driving. they They were driving all the way there. So they knew where it was, and they said it got to a point where they got on the outskirts of Lakeland, and they said it was like you drove, you like you drove from an invisible wall, and it's like you you drove along, you could feel yourself drive into the presence of God. There was like there was like this surrounding tangible presence that was resting over the place. It was tangible. It's the kingdom of God being established. Back to the wealth. Welsh revival, another story about that is that, um, I remember that many, many people were getting saved and and surrendering their lives to Jesus. And many of these uh, people were coal miners, men who worked in coal mines and and all that kind of stuff. And it was, you know, terrible work and all that. And they used to use donkeys. They didn't have like, you know, all the equipment they had these days in mines. And they used to have donkeys that would cart the coal and machinery and equipment up and through the tunnels and all that kind of stuff. And so they'd have these donkeys with carts and all that. And these men were coming to to the revival and, you know, hundreds of them. And they were giving their lives to Jesus, and when they were giving their lives to Jesus, the whole lives were getting cleaned up. In other words, you know, they didn't—they stopped swearing and, and they stopped doing this and doing that. And there was this incredible transformation in that in that revival that all the pubs were emptied. No one. No one, they just went they said it's shut shut down. All these pubs are shut down because everyone just wasn't hanging out there anymore because God was moving. And and so the story goes, all these coal miners were getting um, saved and coming to God and surrendering their lives to God and they stopped swearing and they go back to work to work in the coal mines and they give commands to the donkeys and the donkeys didn't obey them because they couldn't understand them anymore because they weren't swearing anymore. True story. Because they must have been swearing, saying that's what the donkey understood. And so they could have had to retrain the donkeys to listen properly or whatever happened. But there was such a transformation that it put a halt to work. We need to make room and hunger for God more and more and make room for God's kingdom in our lives. I can remember years ago, when I was younger, I always, and I still do have a hunger for God, a hunger for God to move, His power for people to be healed and set free and changed, but believing that God can do it in the hundreds and the thousands and miracles and can happen anywhere. And I can remember when I was about. I think about 17, 18, 19, something like that, and um, and I can remember when the stage in this church was over here on this wall, and we'd walk in from that door, and that was the back of the church. And uh, I can remember we on a Friday afternoon we started had prayer meetings as young people, and uh, and we and it wasn't just our church; it wasn't a massive number. There was 20 or 30 of us, and there was some from the Baptist church and other churches. We all gathered here. Uh, we'd we finish school. Some of them come from school or or whatever we were doing. And about three thirty, we um, we would gather here. And we didn't have a band playing or anything like that. I'm not even sure we put any music on. I can't remember now. But we just started to pray, and we'd pray for one hour, two hours, two and a half hours. And there was such and so we'd be praying in a group, and the power of God would just show up every Friday afternoon. And so there's people just shaking under the power of God, falling under the power of God, just standing there praying. On Troy was there, and I think Aaron, where are you, Aaron? Where are you? Oh, you're hiding it. Oh, hello. How are you? Hey. Were you there? You weren't? You should have been. And so Hey. No. Well yeah, you were alive. It's okay. And so And so um you were home doing homework or playing computer games or something. And so um and so we have these incredible prayer meetings. And so we were at incredible times in God. And so we're just young. we didn't have it all, you know, work it all out. And none of us were pastors or leaders or anything really. And so then people start prophesying over each other and words of knowledge and people are getting healed. And I can remember a couple of people were walking past the church, young people, and they walked in off the street, hadn't walked into church before. They walked in because the Spirit of God drew them into the building. They walked straight in and they surrendered their lives to Jesus while we were praying. And so that, that was, to us, that was normal. There was, this, there was this powerful thing happening in our youth and our young people that, was, that it overflowed. And I was talking to kids the other day about overflow overflowed into Saturday nights at youth and, and the incredible power of God just showing up. And, and, and we were talking about this the other day that we could, all those people were at those meetings on that Saturday night. We can't think of hardly any of them that aren't following God now with all their hearts still to this day. And so, and that's, and we real, and there's something, when you encounter the power and the presence of God in a real way, and are touched by Him, it changes you, it changes you, and it's like, and I can, all these people, some are here in this church, and others are all over the place, all over Australia, and, uh, and they're still following God with all their heart, I still see them, and talk to them, and on Facebook, and things like that, and they're still following God, because something happened when you encounter the presence of God. And I want to stir you tonight that we, you know, I believe there's a stirring in people's hearts to hunger for God again to like, there's been like, it's like we've been going to God, doing church or whatever. But there's like, there's an awakening of the hunger of God. Because let me tell you, when you hunger for God, He responds. He responds to hunger. When and hunger will drive you to get out of your comfort zone and get out of the normal stuff and say, I am going to pursue God and I'm going to press into God and I'm not going to just stay the same. I'm going to step out and do something more. I'm going to pray a bit more. I'm going to read the Word a bit more. I'm going to deliberately make more time. In my life, to draw near to God, because you start to get hungry for Him. And as soon as you make that decision, it's like God comes and He shows up in a more powerful way in your life. He begins to respond. The Spirit of God is stirred up within you and begins to respond on the inside. And because there's a hunger for God, there's a hunger for His kingdom And I believe that God is calling us, our church, everyone in this building tonight, to say, hunger for me like that. Hunger for me like that. And he's stirring up and challenging, saying, come on. Come on. There's more. There's more. Our city, you realize, depends on it. Because they're not the ones hungering for God when we hunger for God and when the kingdom of God is revealed, not just in this building, and it is often every Sunday and that, but it's going to be revealed in your life up the street and in your workplace. And when it's revealed in a greater way, they're going to come And like we were just sitting in here praying. Now, the Spirit of God drew people off the street. And there's people walked in over you know, the last few years, have walked in, been walking past church on a Sunday. I've talked with them and they just, they walk past and thought, I just need to go in there. And they just they just turned around and walked into church and next minute they're at the altar giving their lives to Jesus. And, and so the Holy Spirit will draw people when we are hungry for him, when we are praising him, when we are honoring him and lifting up his name, when we're saying, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven and he will draw all men under himself. So what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. That manifests or reveals itself in the natural here on earth. You enter into the kingdom of God by being born again or through salvation. So giving your life to Jesus. When we ask people, you know, do you want to give your life to Jesus and make him Lord of your life? You ask him into your life. You're actually entering his kingdom. You're entering into the kingdom of God. Jesus revealed the kingdom of God, whatever he went. So you get a picture of what happens in God's kingdom by seeing what Jesus did. So if you want to understand, and I'm going to read a few things, that you want to understand, okay, what is the kingdom of God like? What does it look like? And and how does it happen? And, And what does that kind of mean? Well, if you read the Gospels and see what Jesus did, he actually revealed the kingdom wherever he went. He showed people what the kingdom of God is like. He showed people what God is like. It says he, you know, Jesus brought hope to people. He spoke with wisdom, power, and authority. The kingdom of God carries authority. It carries power, and it carries wisdom. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He showed there's authority over darkness. There's authority over the enemy. The kingdom of God has much greater authority than the kingdom of darkness. It's a kingdom of light, the Bible says. He cast out demons. He raised the dead. He met physical needs like hungry. He multiplied food and fed 5,000, 4,000. He, he could do whatever he wanted to do. He, he, he um, hung, The people that were hungry, physically hungry, he met those needs. He loved people unconditionally. The kingdom of God is a kingdom that loves people unconditionally. Whosoever may come whosoever may come, it doesn't, it doesn't matter, you know, there's no, oh, if you've been good or you've done this or ticked these boxes, we might let you in. No, who, whosoever, whatever condition you're in, you may come. He confronted sin. He challenged sin. He just didn't kind of go, oh, yeah, you, you, you know, he confronted sin. He said, look, there's some sin in your life, and he loved people, but he confronted it, and he said, you need to deal with that. He just didn't let people just just go and live this. He challenged it. They still had to make a choice, but he challenged it because he knew the consequences of the sin and he didn't want them to go down that path. He said, come into my kingdom, a kingdom of light. So he challenged sin. He had authority over nature. Remember, he's in the boat disciples are panicking, think we're all going to die, and there's big waves, and there's a storm, and hopefully we get one tonight. And Jesus and Jesus is looking out over the waters, and he's like, what are you waiting me up for? And said, so we're heading the other side, and he's like, just be still. It's just still. And the disciples are like, oh, man. Like, like he's, and they were afraid, the Bible said, because like he just spoke, and the waves obeyed him. The wind obeyed him. The storm obeyed him. He's revealing the kingdom. He revealed the love of a heavenly Father. He showed people because they, you know, they were fed all kinds of things: what God is like, or God's there to judge you, God's there to hurt you, punishment for sin, and all this kind of stuff. He just revealed that God, He's a judge and all that, but He, but He basically said, "I'm gonna," you know, in the end, He paid the price for all our judgment, and all our sin, and He just showed people that God is a loving Father. And he said that if you see me, you've seen the Father. And Jesus loved people unconditionally wherever he went. And Jesus made it very clear that the kingdom is available to everyone. Jesus made it clear that just as the kingdom was revealed through his life, it can be revealed through our lives as well. And the Holy Spirit was poured out. And you know, the purpose of that was they were, the Holy Spirit came upon them to reveal the kingdom. And then they went out and did what Jesus did. They preached the kingdom of God. They preached about Jesus and about salvation. They healed the sick. They raised the dead. They they did all that kind of stuff. They revealed the kingdom and this, and it's not changed. And so when the Spirit of God comes upon you and the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you, He's there for you to reveal the kingdom. The kingdom is revealed wherever Jesus is. Is king. The kingdom is not revealed if Jesus isn't king. Sometimes you get a kingdom that's a bit watered down, or a bit confused, or just has no power. The kingdom of God is revealed, really revealed, when Jesus is king of that person's life. Matthew 13, to 46 says this. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus spoke all these parables and tried to say so this is what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. And so, this is Jesus is trying to paint a picture here. This is what the kingdom is like. He said, The kingdom of heaven is like, you know, who likes treasure hunting? Who's ever found anything? No one, okay, well, Doug has, okay. I went gold panning once and found like four bits when I was about 12, you can hardly see them, put them in a bottle, think i still got it somewhere, thought it was like I was a millionaire, and so, um, and I wasn't, and so who watches that show Klondike Gold Fever on Monday nights? It's only us, oh, you're, mi- you're missing out, I'm telling you. 8.30, you need to watch that tomorrow night. Anyway, these bunch of guys looking for gold and they're, search- they're digging up, they've got their like patch of ground and uh, they've got their, you know, their do they call it, I can't remember, there's a thing they pay for it. No, that thing, no, the thing, the patch of ground they go and buy and, um, and they use. And so they've got these machines and they're digging up all this stuff and they find gold in the end. But the, I'm thinking the amount of gold they find, the amount of ground they dig up, there's a lot of ground they go through to find that little bit of gold. And so it's kind of like this. This guy is digging in a field and he hits his treasure chest, his treasure, because in those days, this applied to them because they didn't have banks. So when they had a lot of money, guess what they did? They went and found some ground. And buried it. Hope you remember where it is. And no GPSs in those days either. So there's probably some still few jewels and gold buried over in the Middle East, in the Israel there somewhere around that whole area, and uh, where people have just forgotten about it. And so they've this guy's, you know, has dug up and he's found this treasure. Now it says he doesn't go back and just kind of buys a little patch of ground around the treasure. It says he takes everything he has, sells what he has, and buys the whole field. Buys the lot. I'm going to make sure I cover it. There could be more treasure in there. And so he buys the whole field. The treasure that he found was so valuable that he sold everything he had to buy the field the treasure was buried in. When we truly see the kingdom of God, it makes those things that we thought were so valuable in our lives seem invaluable compared to the kingdom of God. So much that you are willing to sell or trade those things that have access to have access to the kingdom of God. Now, now I'm not talking about people because God loves people. The most important thing to God is people. But there's things in our life, there's possessions, and there's things that that we think are so important, and this, that, and the other, that when we truly see the kingdom of God, they're suddenly, in comparison, uh, invaluable, and we say, and we say, oh, the kingdom of God. You know, that's what I need because these possessions are going to just, they're not going to last. When I die, they're staying here. But the kingdom of God is eternal. It will last. It makes it much more important, much more valuable. The kingdom of God also is something that will uh, t- um, touch and change multiple thousands of lives through my life if it's at work through my life. And so my possessions can't do that. And so suddenly this, this picture is like compared to you know the kingdom of God, these things that you think are so important, they need to be put aside. He's not literally saying you have to sell them or do whatever, but he's simply saying they need to be put aside. That needs to be laid down, and my kingdom needs to be lifted up. In other words, Jesus needs to be king, not your possessions, not your business, not your job, not even your family. But it comes a very close second. But Jesus needs to be king. Everything, in other words, needs to be put in right order. Because when you do, the spirit and power of God flows through your life. The kingdom of God carries authority, power, wisdom. And every decision you make and every conversation you had is going to be a benefit to your life because Jesus is king. Every decision you make in your workplace will benefit your whole workplace. Because Jesus is king, and the God's wisdom will be there in everything. When God, when Jesus is king, the word of God becomes priority, and the word of God gives you wisdom, and, and gives you the and the knowledge, and you know what to say, and you know what to do, and so everything you do, and the way you live, and the way you act, actually flows through your life, and your life becomes beneficial to not just you, but to everyone else around you, because the kingdom of God is being revealed. The kingdom of heaven... Is like a treasure. The Bible says, speaks about it's a treasure to us. So I want to ask you a question: What is God's treasure? If the kingdom is our treasure, then what is God's treasure? We are, we are. We're God's treasure. You're His treasure. Like we, like to us, this kingdom of God is so valuable and so incredible. And and and, and you know, Jesus must be King, and that He's like our treasure. But to God, if you flip that around. You are that valuable to him. That he would go and buy the whole field to have you. Because you are his treasure. In Matthew 6.21 it says, Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Wherever your treasure is, is that in Jesus? Is that in the kingdom? Or wherever your treasure is, if it's caught up in your possessions or, your, or someone's workplace or their job or whatever it is, and we can see it and you would know people that you know, are caught up and they maybe don't know about God's kingdom. They don't know about God, but you can see their lives are caught up in this thing and their whole world revolves around this. And if that falls apart, then their world falls apart. You know the great thing about Jesus as king and the kingdom of God? It's a kingdom that will never, ever fall apart. He's not, he's not going anywhere. He's dependable and faithful and he's trustworthy and he's already won the victory. The future, the end is what we already know the end. He rules and reigns forever and ever and ever for eternity and he's not going anywhere. And so when you make Jesus king, you, it's, it's king forever. It's dependable. The kingdom of God is revealed through our lives when Jesus is king of our lives. There are other things that want to be king of our lives as well. and we, There's a struggle that goes on, and we'll talk about this for a moment. There's a struggle that goes on in our lives because other things in your life want to be king. Who understands that? And so, you know, you can struggle. One, one of them simply is sin. Sin wants to be Lord of your life and doesn't want Jesus to be Lord of your life. Your sinful nature, that thing where the way you used to live before you knew Jesus, it's like the Bible says to for that to die in your life because if you don't kill it, it will keep trying to come back and be king. It will keep trying to come back and cause you issues and try and say, so no, get, Jesus shouldn't be king. Don't let you be king. You you be in charge. Let you know, whatever you want to do, you do it. And so your sinful nature becomes selfish, and and it wants to just rule and reign. So sin, if it's not dealt with, will always try and be king and try and put itself in place and rule your life, and that causes incredible problems, and will lead you in a totally opposite direction away from God when sin rules your life. So sin is something you contend with. But aren't we glad that Jesus defeated sin and death on the cross? And when he's made Lord of your life, he actually gives you the power to overcome every temptation and every sin when he's king, when he's Lord, when you lay your life down. Other things the Bible talks about that can want to be king, and the Bible talks about being weights in your life, are guilt, shame, fear, your past. Your past can... Can just keep coming up and you sort of think, oh, I'm not good enough for Jesus to be king and have all this guilt or shame, whatever it may be, but it's just a lie from the enemy because we'll never be good enough where Jesus said, I paid the price no matter, it's not about you, it's about what he has done. And so your past can cause issues, your self-worth, some people don't realize, you know, they think I'm just, I'm not valuable. You, maybe you felt rejection, maybe from your parents, your mom or dad, and you felt rejection from friends, and, and you feel, I'm not worth anything. God's, why would God like me when no one else does? But that's not true either. He loves you unconditionally. But these things can cause you problems from stopping you from putting Jesus as king. And the enemy is good at trying to grab these things and try and shove them in the way and try and crowd your life and try and remind you of these things so that you won't make Jesus king because as soon as you do, He's in trouble. And so you get tormented with these things. You have torment in your mind and struggle in your mind. You have lack of confidence. You have an addiction that can cause you issues about making Jesus king. The addiction that you're trying to break free from, and that addiction that tries to keep coming back, and you've got to try and kind of fight it off and keep it at arm's length. Broken relationships. To make you feel like I'm not worthy or you know, what happens this doesn't work, or what happens then happens again, and and all these things. And there's many others that will be are fighting, are fighting Jesus being king. They they wanna they wanna be king, they wanna be in charge. The enemy wants them to be in the way in your life. So that Jesus can't be king because as soon as he is king, he starts to break every chain. He starts to break off those things. He starts to set you free. And as you make him Lord of your life, he starts to work on your behalf and, and you make him Lord. So then every authority, every principality, every bit of fear, every, every demonic oppression start, has to bow down and has to move out of the way because Jesus is king. And, the, and his kingdom is being revealed in your life, being established in your life. I want to read a passage of scripture, and before I do that, I want to set up something, but I want to read it three in three different versions so you get the gist of it, but right now I've got Aaron here who's um, dressed himself up in some track gear, and um, yeah, it looks amazing, yeah, cool, okay, hang on, just two seconds, I've just got to time up, okay, Yeah, yeah. Done it to Aaron many times I've had to subdue him or do something. In leadership, when he's just out of control. Yeah, yeah. When he won't come to prayer meetings, that's what happens. Just a warning to you all. So I want to read you a scripture. In um, Hebrews 12, 1-2, it says this. Therefore... shame, now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. I want to read you that same verse again in the Amplified. And I just want you to get a picture of this verse. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses who by faith have testified to the truth of God's absolute faithfulness, stripping off every unnecessary weight and the sin which so easily and cleverly entangles us, let us run with endurance and active active persistence the race that is set before us, looking away from all that will distract us and focusing our eyes on Jesus who is the author and perfecter of our faith, the first incentive for our belief and the one who brings our faith to maturity, who for the joy of accomplishing the goal set before him endured the cross, disregarding the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, revealing his deity, his authority and his completion of his work. Hebrews 12, 1-3 in the message says this, do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blaze the way, all these veterans cheering us on, it means we better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished the race, we're in. Study how he did it because he because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish and in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor, right alongside God. When you find yourself flagging in your faith, go over the story again, item by item. That long litany of hostility he plowed through, that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. So, there's a question here, is that, that is a picture of sin entangling our lives. And he's wearing this because it's talking about here about a race. And when it says to strip down and, and take off the weight, it's talking about, you know, when a runner has their running clothes on underneath, but they want to stay warm. So they have their tracksuit pants on or their jumper on or whatever. And they might have a hoodie on or whatever they want to do. And uh, on his head, we won't put that on, so okay. And so... And so he, you know, and so there's a picture of like, but before they run, they don't go running in their tracksuit pants or their, or their jumper or whatever they're going because it slows them down. And they're not going to like, can you run over here, please? Just come on. Yeah. No, you got to, no, the Word of God says you've got to run. So can you run? No, okay. Why can't you run? You're tied up. What, how that happen? Oh, someone told you, okay. Who did it? Come on, who did it? And so, it's a picture. See, I want you to picture this. For the sake of this illustration, God's kingdom is over here. And Jesus says, I I want you to make me Lord of your life. Come to me, Aaron. Come to me. And he can't. Why can't he? Because he's entangled with the sin. So he has to get rid of and untangle of that sin. He needs to get rid of that. And, he, and, he, and he's not going to run effectively with all... No, you have to wait a bit long. And he's not going to run effectively. It's only another hour to go. And so he's not going to run effectively without, with, with that stuff on there. Now I want you to read this scripture. Because God wants to help us, okay? Hebrews 4.12 says this, well-known scripture. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper... Then the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, expose our innermost thoughts and desires. When you speak the word of God over your life, it begins to break down the things, the weights, the guilt and the shame, you get truth into your life and it starts to destroy the schemes and the works of the enemy and the lies of the enemy and the words that have been spoken over your life. It begins to destroy the works and it's sharper than two edges, two, any two-edged sword. There's a one-edged knife. And what it does, it cuts through, it cuts through, it's a sharp knife, so be careful. And so, and it cuts through... <laughs> get this on oh, uh, okay. sure. And so <laughs> and so what happens is so what happens is this that the word of God will cut off the power and the strength of the enemy, but you still have to work with God. To be free. And so, and so now, you can actually get out with one cut of the Word of God. He can be free. Where are you going now? Oh, oh, oh. I'm a fisherman, Mister Filleting Fish. Now, can you get out of that? Oh, look at that! One cut and you're free. So the sin, so the sin, has been untangled, so which means he can move into a position himself to say, "Jesus, be Lord of my life." And then he wants to run, so he gets rid of the weight. He hasn't got track gear on, but he can get rid of the weight, which he's getting rid of now. And so there's other things that can weigh you down, the sin, but there's other things that can weigh you down. And the Bible says, "Get rid of them. Throw them off, Get rid of the weight so you can run. So you can run. One version said, "Get rid of this, the the fat, the extra stuff you don't need in your life. Get rid of it." I'm not saying that about you, Aaron. It's okay. It's okay. We're in, it's okay. We're in church. We made sure everything was worked out beforehand. You, my rope's destroyed. That was a good piece of rope, but now it's. Anyway, thank you, Aaron. Let's give him a hand. Can I, have the, can I have the worship team come on up? Come on up. Just stay here. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm saying? The word, The power of God will help you to be free from the stuff that tangles your life. You know, and there's a, there's a couple more things you could say. The rich young ruler, the story where the rich young ruler went to Jesus and, and said, You know, he said, What do I do to have eternal life? And, he, and Jesus goes, So we've got the Ten Commandments, all that stuff, and he's done all that stuff. And then Jesus goes to the very thing and pinpoints to his life and says, Well, you need to get all your possessions and you need to sell them and give the money to the poor. Now, he wasn't saying that means that we all have to do that, but for him in particular, that was the thing that was going to stop him putting Jesus Lord of his life because the possessions were the most important thing and the Bible says it's a sad line it says at this the man's face fell and he went away sad for he had many possessions he couldn't do it and Bible doesn't talk any more about him what happened I hope that he did do it down the track and then you see the contrast of Zacchaeus the tax collector, who's up a tree, and Jesus meets him and says, "I'm coming to your house for dinner." And they have his conversations going on at his house, and all of a sudden, after this conversation and whatever Jesus was saying, whatever Zacchaeus was listening to, and he suddenly stops and goes, "Look," he said, "I've cheated people. I've done this. I've done that." And he loved money. He loved money. He loved, <laughs> money. he loved possessions, and he said, "I'm going to give back four times." And he suddenly, said so complete contrast, he said. Jesus, the kingdom of God is the most important thing. And I am going to just get rid of whatever I have to get rid of to make that the most important thing. When Jesus called the disciples, called Peter, Andrew, James, and John to follow him, they're down at their boats, they're mending nets, they're throwing nets, all that stuff. And Jesus, come follow me. And the Bible says they left everything at once. And they left what was there and they said, this is a rabbi. This is, he's calling us for a reason. We've got to go follow him. And they laid aside what they had to lay aside because suddenly Jesus was the most important thing. Why don't you stand to your feet tonight? And so tonight, before we finish, I want to ask you a question. What is the most important thing in your life? What are some things in your life that are hindering you? They're hindering you. It's like they're just some of the things could be some of the things could be sin, you need to deal with them. And you go, I can't do that anymore. I need to deal with this sin, I need to lay it down. Other things may not be naturally that they're bad or anything like that, but they're more important than Jesus. They're more important than his kingdom. And so what I simply want to do is this worship team player, I just simply want to open this altar up. And i try to make this as clear as possible tonight. But if you're in this place and you, and you know there's some things, it might be something real small, it could be something real big. It could be some sin, it could be some other stuff, it doesn't matter. But there's some things you say, I want Jesus to be king. But there's some things in the way and I need to lay them down now. And I want to lay them down. And this altar is a place where you can lay them down And like you're laying down the foot of the cross and saying, Jesus, I want you to be the most important thing. I can't do it on my own. I need your help to do it tonight. And as you step out, you're laying it down. I want you to come out of your seat if you want to do that tonight. And lay down those things that are hindering you tonight. Stay tuned for another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church.